It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome, welcome to Money for Lunch. Always, my friends, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for uh, being here. Um, We're going to just dive right into the quote of the day. What's so fascinating and frustrating and great about life is that you're constantly starting over all the time, and I love that. Comedian, actor, Billy Crystal. What's so fascinating and frustrating and great about life is that you're constantly starting over all the time, and I love that. Again, by comedian, actor, Billy Crystal. All right. Let's dive into it. Let's get it started. Jim Quinn is joining me today. Jim W. Quinn is the one of the most accomplished trial arbitration and mediation lawyers in U.S. history. Mr. Quinn practiced in in all areas of complex litigation and alternative dispute resolution with particular emphasis on antitrust, securities, false advertising, sports, entertainment, patent, and Related Complex Intellectual Property Litigation. Jim Quinn, welcome to Money for Lunch. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to be here, Bert. All right, so uh, let's see. The, um, what do you call it? Uh, hold on, my, my teleprompter all of a sudden just wigged out on me. All right, so uh, okay. the topic today is don't be afraid to win. And um, let's see, is this... And I apologize because my, my teleprompter is just wigging out. Is this uh, also the name of the book? That is the name of the book, yes. Uh, Excellent. And Don't be afraid to win. All right. And uh, so, so uh, just out of curiosity, what motivated you, motivated you to write the book? Well, the book is about, uh, and I guess the subtitle is uh, How Free Agency Has Changed Pro Sports Today. And it's really about how uh, the story of free agency came about and its impact and the people who, uh, uh, who brought it, uh, including myself and, and others, who brought it to the fore and has made uh, professional sports a heck of a lot more interesting today than it was 50 years ago when players were stuck and uh, could, not, uh, could not move from team to team even after their contracts were over under what was called a reserve system. Uh, now uh, players are are like everybody else in America are free to uh, uh, shop their skills. Uh, and it's made for uh, a lot more excitement in professional sports. Sure. Sure. So, so let's talk about this a little bit more. Uh, take us back. Uh, Cause you mentioned at one point they couldn't do that. So, I mean, if I'm a professional player and my contract's up, what were my, uh, what do you call it? Options at that point. You know, that was the point. You had no options. Uh, they, uh, the reserve system was a, a system, and it was in play in all of the four major sports where uh, the contracts had what they called an option clause uh, that was only renewable by the team. And the team's uh, uh, interpretation of that option clause was that they could renew it forever. And that's what they did. So uh, uh, players even the best players uh, that you can think of, uh, were, even though they were no longer under contract, had, uh, had no choice but to, uh, to stay with that team because the team would simply, quote, exercise its option. And that was known as a reserve system. And 
it wasn't really until the uh, late 1960s and 1970s that uh, players began to challenge that system. And uh, typically the challenge was using the uh, U.S. antitrust laws uh, to, uh, to break a hole in the system. And I was uh, lucky enough to be the lawyer that represented players in football and basketball, hockey, uh, who, uh, and we were able to accomplish it. Okay, so, so walk me through that. Okay, so I come to your office, and, and I say, listen, I'm a professional player. This is what's happening. You obviously looked at the situation, and you said, okay, uh, and this is the thing that I love about law, that, that yes, you know, they have this, uh, I imagine they had some kind of iron contract that, that gave the player no wiggle room, but under this, this strategy of antitrust, you were able to, I guess, break that contract and say, look, what you're doing is illegal? Talk about this. Yes, that, I think that's, that's a fair way to say it. We were basically saying that, that, by, that by all the uh, teams in the league agreeing that they wouldn't uh, sign a player even though he was no, no longer under contract, it was, it was essentially a boycott. And, uh, and the boycotts under the U.S. antitrust laws are illegal. Uh, it, the, the first case, actually, uh, was, was a case called... Uh, brought in baseball by a player by the name of Kurt Flood, and, uh, and that failed. Uh, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court held that the, uh, the baseball owners were, it was a stupid decision, but they held it nonetheless, uh, that the baseball owners uh, were not, uh, they were immune from antitrust because they weren't in interstate commerce, which, of course, is silly. Right. Uh, the next time, uh, almost simultaneously with, with that case, um, we in basketball, that was how I first got involved representing basketball players, and the lead player was Oscar Robertson, uh, you know, then a well-known superstar, um, and he and several other players, including Bill Bradley, later Senator Bradley, and John Havlicek, uh, and uh, a number of other uh, players brought a lawsuit. Originally, it was to block of the attempted merger between the American Basketball Association and the National Basketball Association. And they wanted to block it because the two leagues were actually competing for players and salaries are going up. And obviously, the owners in those leagues didn't like that. and they, yeah. they, would, they wanted to do what the NFL and AFL had done a few years before, which was to merge and get rid of competition. We uh, fired, filed a lawsuit and blocked the, the uh, merger and at the same time uh, attacked what I described before as the reserve system as being an illegal boycott. And eventually, after a number of uh, successful rulings, the, um, uh, we entered into a settlement known as the Oscar Robertson settlement, which led to free agency in, uh, in basketball. And shortly after that, similar rulings uh, came down in baseball through arbitration. And uh, suddenly you had players that were able to uh, go out and, and uh shop their wares and get what they were worth. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too is, is that, um, you know, lawyers have this, uh, they, they get a bad rap, right? Uh, you know, there's always this thing that, oh, you know, these lawyers come in and they jack things up and they're, it's all about the money and things like that. And that is sometimes the way the media spins it. And of course, when you're dealing with, with, uh, let's say, uh, sports owners, these guys are not broke. These guys are, 
sometimes, uh, you know, billionaires and, and multi, multi-millionaires and they have deep pockets and they have PR machines and they can spin it in the, any way they want. But if it wasn't for somebody like you, somebody who was aware of antitrust laws and, and, and could look at this from all these different uh, perspectives that you had from your, you know, two decades of, of being a lawyer that, uh, you know, a lot of these professionals athletes would have suffered because they would, they literally would have no other option. Well, that was a, that was the idea. And, and, and certainly it, uh, this was all occurring at a time when uh, the television was uh, the te- revenues from television was, were exploding and of course, the owners wanted to keep all the money, and, uh, and we wanted them to share the money with the players. <laughs> and uh, they fought, as you can imagine, tooth and nail for many years uh, in the different sports. In fact, the, the, the owners, not surprisingly, who were the toughest and that took the longest was the owners in the National Football League, uh, you know, the richest, greediest, and, and most arrogant of all. Um, and that wasn't uh, until the 90s we finally uh, uh, were able to bring a lawsuit. We actually had a jury trial out in Minneapolis for uh, four months in front of a, a, a jury made up of all women. And uh, those lovely eight women found on behalf of the players and free agency followed. In fact, the title of the book, Don't Be Afraid to Win, comes from uh, a phrase that was used often in the NFL. Uh, Gene Upshaw, uh, a uh, all-time, all-time great guard, the Oakland Raiders, uh, who later became the leader of the uh, NFL Players uh, Union, uh, was the one who first said that to me. And as I was getting up to do the closing argument in that case in Minneapolis, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Quinn, don't be afraid to win. And uh, that was a phrase that had stuck in my mind for the rest of my life. I love that. I love that. Don't be afraid to win. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. So the book, again, is Don't Be Afraid to Win by uh, Jim Quinn. And um, and uh, it's uh, uh, Don't Be Afraid to Win, uh, How Free Agency Changed the Business of Pro Sports. Is that correct? That's right. That's that's absolutely and, right. And uh, the uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes here so you guys can just click on there and check out the book. It's available on Amazon. Uh and it's uh, it's really kind of uh, an inside look at uh, at uh, not just uh, you know I'll say a bird's eye look at history right because this is historic and let me ask you this it, uh, sure the uh, is the book who is the book written for when you were writing this book who did you have in mind that's a great question I really had it in mind for for uh, sports fans who you know, want to know why the system is the way it is today. How did it get to be this way? You know, why is there a franchise player? Why is the, what's the Larry Bird exception? All of the different uh, things that have become, you know, part of the today's lexicon in professional sports all had a history to them. And, and that's what this book is about. And it's told really uh, in stories. Uh, it's not, a, it, I, I uh, made it, uh, I tried to make it uh, easily uh, understandable. You didn't have to be a lawyer to read it. Uh, it does, it's not filled with a lot of lawyer crap. Uh, it's more uh, uh, stories about how we got to where we are, whether it was through a litigation, through a negotiation. I tell one story about 
in, in uh, hockey. Uh, we were in a negotiation with a group of NHL owners, and one of the uh, owners called me out and wanted to have a fight with me in the hallway. Now, that could only, that could only happen in hockey, okay? You know, if he wanted to drop the glove. I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's a, you know, a, 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 the kind of thing that I tried to bring to life, uh, uh, the real life people who were involved in, whether it was David Stern in the NBA or uh, Gary Bettman and uh, the commissioner in hockey and Pete Rozelle in football and Paul Tagliabue and, then, of course, a lot of players like, um, like Oscar Robertson and Bill Bradley and, uh, and Gene Upshaw. And, and uh, we even have a chapter called The Brady Bunch. And uh, that is uh, the story of uh, one of the litigations uh, that uh, Tom Brady was a lead plaintiff in in uh, 2011 when we were fighting uh, the NFL owners. And uh, for that, he probably was punished later by Goodell. But that's a, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. All right. So you piqued my curiosity. What is the Larry Bird exception? Well, okay. So um, when we were when we had uh, negotiated the first, very first salary cap in, in uh, basketball in, in the early 1980s, uh, the owner of the Boston Celtics at the time um, realized that uh, he, uh, he had to be able to keep his best player, who happened to be Larry Bird. And, and so he said, okay, we have to have an exception to the salary cap so I can go over the salary cap in order to keep my best player. And since the best player was Larry Bird, over the years it just became known as the Larry Bird exception, which meant that any team, any team could, uh, could go over the cap to retain its own star player. That's interesting. You know what? And this, this is, this is, I think, a lesson here that if you're that good to your company or to your team, they will make an exception. They will break the rule. They'll make, they'll, they'll figure out a way of keeping you if you're that good and that valuable to your, again, to your team or your business. Uh, I love this Larry Bird exception. I, 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 I find that fascinating. Yeah, no, there's no question. They'll figure it. <laughs> these are, these are sophisticated uh, businessmen. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll figure out a way. And, and, from our perspective, from the players' side, uh, we we said sure. You know, you want to have an exception so that you can pay players more money. God bless America. That's okay with us. <laughs> God bless America. That's absolutely true, isn't it? Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. Um, all right. So, man, there's just so much. And again, the book is called "Don't Be Afraid to Win." Jim Quinn. Q-U-I-N-N. I'm going to put a link here in the show notes, uh, but I, I love this stuff because, uh, first of all, I'm kind of a law nerd. I love the way law is developed over time, and you see how it affects uh, our society, and, and uh, I, I just love this stuff. Um, the uh, From your landmark case, Oscar Robertson, uh, at that point uh, – was free agency a thing? I mean, at that point, is okay. Here's the law; it's good to go. Or, or did it take time to be really adapted by the? Yeah, no, that's the, that's that, that, that's uh, uh, Bert. That's a great question. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It, uh, you know, it was uh, we uh, 
none of us knew what we were doing. So we on both sides, whether it was the player right. side or the owner side, and you know we had uh, we would had squabbles and fights uh, over how the free agency uh, was supposed to work. Um, you know we had we had written collective bargaining agreements and settlement agreements, uh, but. Uh, both sides, you know, did everything they could to get around them. Our side was to try to um, ensure that uh, the players would uh, be able to move as as much as possible and figure out ways around whatever restrictions the NBA and later the NFL would put on. And their side was to try to restrict it as much as possible. So it became kind of a game. But over time, uh, as uh, as the, we entered into new agreements and uh, parties had a better feel for how how this was all going to work out. Uh, the, uh, the original agreements, which may have been 10 pages long, suddenly became 100 pages long with all kinds of exceptions and you know, stuff that uh, you know lawyers do. Uh, we, we would we would turn something that was very simple into the uh, IRS tax code, which is what it's like <laughs> today. Well, and, and, and but you know what? I, I, and the reason for that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is because. As you're saying, you know this is this was new law. You're you're developing this as you go along, and there's all these. First of all, you know we just talked about the Larry Bird exception. There's all these different things that come up that you weren't thinking of, and and hey, so how do we deal with this? Well, we got to put this in there, and you know it's 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 not just lawyers; it's human nature. If this is the rule, how you know as a human, I'm going to figure out how can I get under it, over it? Can I? Is there an exception? Can, you know, it, what can I do? And so. It just kind of grows. It becomes this, li- this this living thing. That's that's exactly what it was. And it, it, even today, that you know, changes are made and uh, and will be made in the next round of collective bargaining in whatever sport it is, as as new things develop and and you know, smart people figure out a way, as you say, to get either around, under, or over a particular rule. Um, that was that was part of the fun of it. Sure, sure. Now. Do you still practice law? Yes. Yep. I uh, for many years I was with a big New York law firm uh, and ran their trial practice. Uh, and more recently, I, I, a friend of mine and I have uh, gone into a smaller boutique litigation practice, but I'm also doing mediation and arbitration, and uh, it's still fun. Sure. My wife doesn't sure. want me home. That's for sure. <laughs> No, they never do. <laughs> no, they never. Do. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, let's see. I guess uh, as this thing started to to develop and grow, uh, do you recall which professional sports first adopted the the free agents, and 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 uh, what what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, they were different, but in basketball and baseball, the free agency concept came in almost simultaneously in the, in the mid-70s, uh, so it's pretty close, but they developed differently uh, because mm. when we negotiated the, the Robertson settlement, um, we had certain rules that were, you know, that were agreed to uh, with regard to free agency and uh, the number of how, how, many, how long you had to be in the league before you became a free agent, what was... Uh, what would happen when you did become a free agent? Was there a right of first refusal? Was there compensation? We negotiated a you know a, a set of rules in in basketball. Simultaneously with that, in baseball, Marvin Miller, who was then the uh, executive director and the head of the baseball union, negotiated 
uh, also a free agency deal, but it was different um, and it had a different number of years um, uh, that the player had to be in the league before he became a free agent. And they, there was a arbitration component in uh, in his deal that was different than uh, what was in the basketball deal. Uh, and uh, it wasn't actually for almost uh, 15 years later, uh, although there had been some litigation in football, it wasn't until our case in the, in the 90s that um, we uh, were able to obtain for agency in, uh, in football. And even there, we negotiated rules that were different. So all the there's there's a basic general concept of free agency, but uh, but how it gets applied and how the rules um, uh, affect players are different in all of the sports. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, uh, Jim, if it's okay, could you turn down your speakers a little bit? We keep hearing that uh, email ding. Bing. Uh, that's what I'm yeah. thinking. That what that is. Uh, all right. So I'll just, I'll just turn no it off. So, so um, yeah, cause this is, again, this is what I love about the law. I mean, people, again, there, there's all these uh, mixed emotions or these sometimes negative connotations, but if it wasn't for lawyers, uh, you know, the world would look like a completely different place because uh, it was a lawyer, you know, however long ago that, uh, uh, what do you call it, Brown v. Education that changed the way schools were segregated or not segregated, whatever the, you know, the term there was, you know, and so uh, here we are dealing with uh, what today is common thing to have a, you know, to have a free agent and to have a, uh, a free athlete or whatever. It's, it's, it's commonplace, but people don't understand that it took somebody with your skill set to really change that landscape. I mean, it's a landmark case because it changed everything. Yeah, and, and that was, you know, again, uh, you know, whenever you ha- have these kinds of uh, cases, uh, you don't know for sure how it's all going to play out. And uh, you don't, uh, for one example, it's when we. When we did the salary cap in basketball, initially the uh, uh, the whole salary cap structure w- was written down in four pages. Today, that section in the collective bargaining agreement is like 200 pages, and all of that just develops over time. And lawyers, you know, want to they uh, they're lawyers, so they want to you know sure. be a lawyer and write more crap down uh, and come up with more rules. And each side, you know, fights back and forth. We actually in, in basketball back. Uh, in the first deal, we created separate, um, uh, different jurisdictions uh, depending on what the issue was. One would go to federal court, another one would be an arbitration. There was another, a third uh, impartial arbitrator. Um, we're very creative when we when, when we come up with uh, how to uh, how to uh, engender disputes. Sure, sure. You know, I. Uh love to get your ideas on this because again you have this massive background in litigation you've done it all you again you a landmark case uh from your experience what's the value in let's say arbitration and mediation from a customer's point of view well you know that it, that's a terrific question and and and, it, and it's a little bit complicated but the the um and the trend today, particularly in commercial disputes, uh, is towards mediation uh, because uh, litigation and arbitration have become so expensive. 
Uh, and so, you know, to the extent you can mediate a case and not have to go all the way through a trial and, and you know, spend uh, tens of, you know, that hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in litigation, if you can mediate uh, and uh, spend two days in a conference room somewhere and settle a case, uh, that's become something that is uh, uh, quite attractive uh, to folks. Uh, arbitration, the, the benefit of arbitration is tends to be, it's quicker, it, it can be less expensive, and you get a decision fairly quickly that you, that you can't, uh, there, there's no appeals, it's, that's it, it's over, one way or the other, uh, as opposed to litigation that even after a trial, you can appeal the verdict to the appellate, first appellate court, and then sometimes even to a higher court, and it can take a lot longer and be a lot more expensive. Um, so, you know, it, it, it really depends uh, largely on the kind of case it is, and, uh, and frankly, uh, the ability of, of um, the litigants, uh, if they're commercial litigants or wealthy people, are, as opposed to uh, people who don't have a lot of money. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, that is the way our system works. If you have a lot of money, you, uh, can, uh, you can buy a lot of very good legal help. Sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, so again, the book is called Don't Be Afraid to Win, the author Jim Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, available on Amazon. I'm going to put a link here in the show notes. Uh, all right, back to the book. Um, it, the, uh, you, you mentioned Bill Bradley. How was Bill Bradley instrumental in the NBA to achieve free agency? Well, uh, he was uh, – one of the lead plaintiffs uh, with Oscar in the in the uh, in the litigation uh, that led to free agency, but his biggest role actually was uh, going to Congress because, as I mentioned, the ABA and the NBA uh, were trying to merge, and they went to Congress uh, to uh, see if they could get uh, Congress to approve a merger uh, that would allow them. Uh, you know, essentially to get an exception to the antitrust laws to allow them to merge. And Bill, uh, and it turned out that the Congress, uh, Senate actually held hearings on the bill and um, the, uh, it was Senator Irvin, this is sort of ironic, uh, the same famous Senator Irvin from the Watergate hearings was also mm. chairing these hearings almost simultaneously with Watergate. I think he probably had something better to do. But in any <laughs> event, uh, he, uh, it was Bill Bradley who was, uh, along with uh, Larry Fleischer, who was the head of the uh, NBA union at the time, Larry and Bill Bradley were the ones who went and testified on behalf of the players. And Bill, uh, you know, it was, I guess we knew some, somewhere down the line Bill was going to have a bigger career than just simply hitting uh, jump shots from the corner for the Knicks, um, and uh, he was he was terrific in uh, in his testimony before Congress. And of course, as you know, he later became a U.S. senator in New Jersey for uh, uh, several uh, terms and ran for the presidency. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, th again, uh, the book is called Don't Be Afraid to Win, um, and it is uh, just chuck full of, of a lot of great, as you mentioned, stories, uh, 
And, and so let me ask you this. Uh, I want to talk about how the first pro sports strike changed the business forever. And this is something I didn't know because when you hear the word strike, you're thinking something that's going to go for at least a, a few days, maybe a week. Sometimes, you know, they go on for such a long time. But the very first pro sports strike only lasted 21 minutes. Talk about this. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so it's 1964. Uh, the, uh, for the first time, a national television network is going to put the uh, – NBA All-Star Game on uh, at prime time at 8 o'clock. Uh, this was a huge deal for the NBA. And at, at that time, the players, Larry Fleischer, who was the new head of their union, uh, was trying to get them a pension, uh, just a modest pension. for the uh, and, and, of course, the owners being owners refused. And uh, they were at it for a year or more, and they couldn't get anywhere. And finally, uh, night of the all-star game the players got together with larry and then told the uh, owners that unless the uh, owners would agree to a pension for the players the players weren't going to come out and play the all-star game and uh, they were up in boston it was snowing uh, and uh, somehow the players managed to get there they went into the locker rooms and Larry Fleischer and the then Commissioner Walter Kennedy were screaming at each other in the hallways trying to actually uh, see if they could get a deal. And sure enough, 8 o'clock came and the players didn't come out. I don't know what the uh, announcers on ABC were thinking of. <laughs> there was going to be a, a camera looking at the uh, at, at the court and there was no players. And the uh, minutes ticked by and finally, about uh, 15 minutes later, uh, the owners uh, sent word to the players in the locker rooms they would give them a pension and five minutes later uh, in a total of I guess it was eight twenty one the player came out on the court and began and played and and played the NBA all-star game and ironically the uh, most valuable player that night was Oscar Robertson oh that's <laughs> oh that's good that is so funny uh yeah, that blows me away. That that is, and that was uh, the first twenty one. That twenty one minutes was the first strike, um, that uh, recorded strike in professional football or professional sports. Sports, yeah. You know what? And, and, and again, look, this is this is the system that we have. It's it's. Uh, I don't want anybody. At least this is my opinion. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that you know that the owners are complete jerks. But you know, it's an adversarial system. They, you know, as as all good company managers, owners, CEOs, your job is to keep costs down. And for most corporations, your biggest expense is your talent. It's going to be your employees. And uh, and if you can, you know, keep the salaries down, uh, more profit for you. Uh, and sometimes you have to twist some arms uh, to get a fair deal, and, and this is the case here. It's just the way it is. Um, seldom are you going to have owners say, you know what, you're doing a great job. Let me give you more money, and let's just make that a, a, a permanent thing. I mean, it, they're okay with giving you a bonus, but bottom line is if, if you don't fight for your value, 
you're not going to get it. I don't care whether, again, you're a professional player or a professional actor or, you know, the, what do you call it, a, a manager in a company. Sometimes you gotta, you got to fight for what you're worth. Yeah, I look at, I mean, the reality is that, you know, you know owner, player, or employer, employee uh, circumstance, that's, that's, uh, it's by nature somewhat adversarial. It, it's just the, it's the, you know, uh, it's the nature of the beast, and you understand that. You don't have to make it, uh, uh, you know, uh, unpleasant, but uh, you have to step back and make sure that you're, at least from my perspective, I was representing players, and I was trying to make sure that they were going to be treated fairly. And the uh, lawyers on the, for the uh, leagues and the owners, they were doing what uh, they do uh, and, and trying to maintain uh, uh, the uh, salary level at the lowest possible level. Fine. Everyone, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we do. It's okay. okay. And, and, and uh, I think it's been that way uh, forever. Uh, it will continue to be that way. It's just it's just the way it is. All right, so I I want to dive into this and and kind of end on this because we're uh, short on time. Sure. But uh, when you look back, what are the lessons, maybe the hard lessons that you've learned uh, that you know that or that have been learned during the uh, let's say 1987 NFL strike? Uh, you have the 1999 NBA lockout. Uh, you have the 2005 uh, hockey lockout, uh, NHL lockout. Talk about your thoughts on this. Well, I, I think that, you know the bottom line is that um, when you're at least on our side, you just keep pressing, uh, and you know that at some point, and that's also the nature of the beast, uh, that uh, you're going to have to reach a compromise. Um, and you have to fight as hard as you can for the positions that you're advocating but with the knowledge that uh, you know, there will be no games unless, unless you figure out a way to compromise in a way that it, uh, it's the best that you can do for your players. All of this uh, I've learned early on is about leverage. And at different times, uh, you may have the leverage. Sometimes the other side has the leverage. And that's when you have to be realistic to know uh, when to compromise. One of the uh, I think lessons learned uh, from the season-long uh, lockout in the NHL back in 2005 is that neither party uh, was willing to compromise at least early enough until right. one of them so bloodied up the other that it, would, it wasn't compromised anymore. It was surrender. So you, you, I, I never wanted to be, and thank God I never was in a circumstance where uh, we had to surrender. We always uh, and sometimes it was better for the players. Sometimes it was not as good as we would have liked, but we always compromised. We got it done, and knowing that you, know, you had to be there to fight another day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, it really goes back to, you know, uh, sometimes don't be afraid to win. Uh, it has to be don't be afraid to fight, you know, but uh, I love that. I like that. I, it, it is you just got to be willing to uh, – uh, what do you call it? Uh, be patient as you go through the process. Uh, again, the book is Don't Be Afraid to Win. The author, Jim Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N. There's going to be a link here in the show notes. It's also available at Amazon or wherever you buy your favorite books. Um, Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I love, love the, the stories in this book, Don't Be Afraid to Win. And uh, I want to thank you so much for stopping by and sharing. 
It was great, Bert. Good talking to you. Absolutely. Good stuff there from um, attorney Jim Quinn. And uh, just see, this this is the kind of stuff that I find fascinating uh, from a historical point of view, from a legal standpoint of view. You you take somebody like a Jim Quinn, who uh, because of his superb knowledge and you know his ability to argue whatever you want to call it, his his, his superb uh, legal skills impacted the sports landscape and. More importantly, think about how he's impacted tens of thousands of players and their families that now these guys can get what they're worth. And uh, we ran out of time. I wanted to talk to Jim about, uh, you know, what's happening now in college, uh, you know, where they're now allowed to get endorsement deals. And and it makes total sense to me. Uh, If you're a valuable individual at your company, at your team, then you deserve to be compensated. That's the way the world works. As always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone you know. All your sports enthusiasts will love this book, Don't Be Afraid to Win. Uh, Let's share this episode with everyone we know. And as always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.